Support for Shiro's comes from Concord Records, celebrating Bethany Cosentino's new album, Natural Disaster, one of the most anticipated albums of the year and hailed by NPR Music, Pitchfork, Vulture, and NME. The front woman of Best Coast shares her sterling solo debut album, available everywhere you get your music. I find it hopeful that the music I made got given the chance it has. And maybe that's the thing. It's like, you know, these little white caps of hope on a huge, huge sea. It's like we yeah. just have to hope that at some point they will turn a tide. And there's so many people right now chipping away, hoping that something will change. And sadly, it's the massive corporations in every area, every walk of life that need to make yeah. the biggest changes and aren't. But we're putting our little flags in the ground. And I believe the fact that this record got the love and the attention that it has is extraordinary. That was Beth Orton. And this is Shiro's, a podcast with a mission to turn up the volume of women's voices in music across genres and generations. I'm Carmel Holt, and what you're about to hear is a previously aired interview from my syndicated public radio show, Shiro's Radio. Shiro's is a deep dive into the experiences and perspectives of women and gender expansive folks in a still overwhelmingly male-dominated music industry. It's a space where we discuss challenges and triumphs, how far we've come, and how far we still have to go. Telling our stories is the first step to making music better for everyone. There's just some artists that you remember hearing for the first time, or at least how their music hit different. And chances are that it was like that when you discovered the music of British singer-songwriter and producer Beth Orton. Her 1996 U.S. debut, Trailer Park, which earned her two Brit Award nominations and went gold in the U.K., sounded like nothing else we'd heard before. Blending folk, electronica, and trip-hop sensibilities was and still is an intoxicating combination with Beth Orton's voice and songs. It's a sound that has its roots in some of her earliest work with William Orbit and the Chemical Brothers, and first recorded on a little-known 1993 album called Super Pinky Mandy. Her 1999 follow-up, Central Reservation, even further accelerated Beth's career, earned her a Brit Award, and is now widely considered one of the best of the decade. Four more incredible albums followed. Daybreaker in 2002, Comfort of Strangers in 2006, the more stripped-back acoustic 2012 album Sugaring Season, and then the pendulum swung more purely electronic with Kid Sticks in 2016. In the mid of it all, Beth married musician Sam Amidon, became a mother to two children, and began a film acting career. And after six years, in September of last year, we saw the release of her critically acclaimed eighth studio album, Weather Alive, Beth Orton's most fully realized album to date, also her first self-produced, which landed on every year-end best-of list. I am thrilled to welcome Beth Orton as this week's Shiro in the Spotlight. Welcome to Shiro's. Thank you. Hi. Continued congratulations on Weather Alive. What Thank an you. amazing, amazing album. Thank you. It means a lot every time. I'm just still amazed that people have responded the way they have. It's incredible to me. Yeah. The thing that's great about getting to talk to you now versus when it first came out is there's a lot that's subconscious or unconscious. And then once you have time to live with it, themes emerge, 
new knowledge or Mm -hmm. self-knowledge emerges. So can you share some of those revelations that you've had about the album or things that have come to light about this work? Just before we were going to talk, I was like, I'm so glad this is happening now. I'm so glad I get the chance to talk about it in hindsight and with perspective of time because it's very different. When it first came out, it was like, you're meant to immediately have this kind of ready-made bio of like, and then this <laughs> right. happened, and then that happened. I meant to say this, and I was, and there was at no point did I collect those kind of ideas and think, right, okay, this is what that's going to be about. And I wrote reams of pages that I sent to the label that I think they must have been just like, who is this nutter? And then, <laughs> and then I did like a couple of bios with people and, and we sort of settled on something, but I was just like in the dark. I was like, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to tell you what I've made or what it stands for or, you know, it was just, I was so inside it still. So yeah, I do have some perspective. The thing with music and making songs and making records, you know, that commitment, these tattoos as you know certain people like Joni Mitchell might call them they do take time to get to know because they do so come from your subconscious and your unconscious they do not come often for me anyway from a conscious place I think the most interesting work is like that anyway so yeah somebody said to me that there's a false belief that the muse will just show up there's the two sides of it where you kind of just have to create the space for it and like show up to work And get used to working through a lot of stuff that you're not going to keep. And then the downloads will happen. Or sometimes it does just happen that way. But if you don't create the space for it, how how do you find that process? Or how did you find that process for this album? I definitely made a lot of space. I had to. I built this shed at the end of the garden to make that kind of line. Even though it's like, you know, a couple of meters from the house. It's just like a line has been drawn. You will knock on the door. And before that, it was all happening in a little spare room bit at the back of the house. And then I was just like, I feel like I need a space. I I need a room of my own. So built this and then started to carve out time. Like I am working because I come from a family of like, I don't know if I grew up with the idea that creative work is work, you know, sort of like an indulgence, you know, and art is a add on. It's not an essential. And of course, it is very essential. And what we learned through the pandemic If ever we learned it was how essential that is. So I got the chance to carve out that time and just every day do that thing, show up, show up, show up. There's so many little sayings I heard. This one, which was like, when you start working on something, the room is full of other voices. It's full of all your critics. It's full of all your inner critic. And then gradually, one by one, they leave the room and you are eventually alone with your work. And maybe to a degree, you're alone with finally the muse you know maybe then that's when the muse comes in and suddenly you're you're in a flow and you're working and that's sort of what happened for me and then there was a whole process I worked with people outside of the shed during the pandemic I worked with other musicians with Tom Skinner who's a wonderful drummer in fact we worked remotely a little bit as well like some of the tracks before we went in the studio I can get back to the details of how the record was made But I think in terms of the unconscious part of it, you know, at a certain point, I didn't have a sense of who the record was for. Because very shortly after I actually got into a studio, when the pandemic allowed for me to be with other people, because I was... Locked down. Yeah, you know, that thing where you can't really see anyone. Well, I mean, which is obviously what the whole world went through. But if you have a condition that makes you vulnerable, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so... 
got in the studio and then within about two months of doing that, I got dropped from the label. Oh, they had a reshuffle. They let me go. And that's cool. It's actually fine. But then I went into this kind of like, I don't know, my reaction to everything was to just go, I'm going into this. I don't know what it is. And that's when I think I started to really have this relationship with my unconscious. Because I'd written the songs, reams and pages and pages of lyrics were written. But then at a certain point, I just sort of left what I knew. And like a song like Fractals off the record, I didn't have the lyrics in front of me when the good take came. You know, I was in here and I was like, oh, that's the take. But the lyrics, it became their own stories. Things like that, like... There was a trust in this process that maybe I've controlled away a little bit. And this Ooh. time I, yeah, I worked hard. And I mean, some of these songs have been worked on, you know, off and on over years. But then in those last three months, it just became like about working in the moment. And at a certain point, I got so exhausted. Like I hit a wall. I was like, OK, I can't do anymore. So I have to walk away from this. I can't see this anymore. I stopped being able to see and that's when I handed it over to the mixer. Craig Sylvie mixed the record and I was part of that process. I'd go in and I'd listen, I'd give feedback. But at a certain point I could do no more. And so it's interesting, sorry, it's a really long-winded answer for the fact that time is teaching me more about the songs. It's just interesting that was your question because that was literally the last thought I had before we started. I was like, I'm just glad this is now. I'm so glad that we were in sync there. And maybe Fractals is a great place to start today. Yeah. It's the first song that I and probably everyone heard from the record when you first announced it last year. Do you want to tell us anything again now that you have some perspective, anything about it that you're particularly proud of? This is your first self-produced album as well. It is. I mean, I don't know. It's funny because it's like with anything creative, it comes in and out of focus. So sometimes I'm really, I'm like, oh my God. Like I'm singing it and I'm like, boom, there it is. There's what this song is. And sometimes I have the foresight to write something down, but sometimes I don't. And even if I did, I don't know where I wrote it. So the song is really an investigation lyrically into the self and perspective on the self. And it started when I heard that Hal Wilner had died. And a couple of months before Andrew Weatherall had died, two people who for me were very pivotal in my life. But it wasn't like it was about them. But I was thinking about this extraordinary thing, the magic that is making art. Then I'm also really interested in this idea and always have been that when you have a dream, every object, every other in your dream is a part of your unconscious mind. They're all pieces of you, you know, so you're having a fight with someone else, but actually that someone else is you. And then I was thinking, well, actually, it's like that every day and every interaction we have, we constantly projecting onto one another. And I suppose if I didn't write songs. I would love to study psychology. I'm really interested in that, I suppose. Sound like I'm doing yeah. a, a Miss World competition. But anyway, um, I just, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's what um, kind of interests me. And I was thinking about the music industry and I noticed in one of your notes, it was like music industry and what's it like and yada yada. And I think that you come across a lot of cynicism. And I think the most important times in my life have been those moments working with people when I mean, you don't necessarily say a lot to one another, 
there's not like I could ever understand a word Hal said anyway. I was just always like, what? Um, and <laughs> but I got to understand over the years. I learned to understand. And like Andrew and I, something occurred in the chemistry of our being together. And I, I'm just so excited by that. That to me is everything. And music gives me a channel into this unknowable existence that we live in constantly all day long and we try and control it with things like forgiveness I forgive you and I will control this situation by doing x y and z whatever that may be for all the best intentions doesn't necessarily mean anything (laughs) in the grand scheme Mm -hmm. of things it would be good to do that and it would be better to behave well right and we do our best and I suppose there was a part of me when I came out with that song that was in a place of sheer frustration at my own futile attempts at trying to do right and it's still not quite working out and at the Mm. same time being totally aware that that's where the magic happens you know and it's beyond conversation it's beyond my idea of forgiveness it's this huge I have a, a universe within me that I have no idea about. It's so what do I know? You know, so I was just sort of stabbing in the dark at that idea, really, just playing with these themes. And I think what happens with the melody in that is it squeezes a kind of sound out of you, which isn't a very poetic way of putting it. But it's sort of like <laughs> you emote this kind of like sound that speaks of that feeling as well as those words. So the words come, but also the melody came and I really loved the melody and I was like oh I like that and then I liked the piano pattern but then what was really interesting was when I got to play with Tom Skinner and Tom Herbert his friend and Tom Herbert came up with the bass line and the pair of them were just like kids in a sweet shop they loved it you know and it was just like oh well all right then let's go with that you know and that's when that magic happened again you know and again I had no control over that that was their world that's their kind of experience that they pulled into the song and then it took on a whole new life and then I came home and I sent it to Shazad Ismaili and he added that kind of high I don't even know what it is it's it's some kind of keyboard and then finally I did the final vocal and piano in here and sent all of it to Alabaster de Plume, the wonderful saxophonist and beautiful thinker and spirit, and asked him if he'd like to put saxophone on it, and he did. And then you have that outro. And all of this is exactly what I was getting to in my song, and it happened, (laughs) if you know what I mean. And then you get that prophetic nature of songs where they just kind of become their own little prophecies. I'm kind of trying to approach like a little beast in the room, like, so how do you feel about this? And it it can run away before you know it. Sometimes it just sets something in motion and it's just wild. I love it. That's fractals. Beth Orton is our guest today on Shiro's. The new album is Weather Alive, her eighth 
studio album, first in six years when she released it in the fall of 2022. We're just talking about the alchemy that happens with songs and being present for when it shows up and allowing the space for it to happen. And you mentioned a lot of the collaborators mm-hmm. that worked with you on this album. And I said at some point that this is the first album that you've self-produced in your 30-year career. By the way, happy 30th anniversary I know. to your very first album, Super Pinky Mandy. Oh, sugar. Um, Is it? Yeah. Yeah. This year. Wow. Yeah. It came out in 1993. That's a long journey to go, not being in the driver's seat production-wise. Not that everybody has to be, but I will tell you that something that's come up so much doing Shiro's is the studio setting. Women seem to feel like they might want more options when it comes to producers and engineers. Often collaborators, especially in the tech end of things, end up being men. And in some cases, we end up getting steamrolled in those situations, especially early on in our careers where we don't necessarily have a voice Mm -hmm. that's respected yet, or we don't have the language to be able to articulate what we want. So I was hoping that we could dive into that area a little bit and like if you would be willing to share your personal experience and what brought you around to self-producing and how that experience was when you finally decided to do it. One of the things that I'm learning is that I do not have the language for it still. I sit amidst people on tour who have all been to university, who have all studied and all have a common language. I do not have that language and I never have. I've never even known what it was that I didn't know, if you know what I mean. I'd be in a room full of people talking about E minor seventh over or what's it. And I was just like, I don't know what anyone's talking about. I'm just going to have a nap. I just like, (laughs) I'll bring the songs and you're going to keep going with all that business and I'll see you later. And now it's got to the point where it's just like, actually, it so upsets me in some ways that I can't speak the language. Not because I have a chip on my shoulder, it's just because it's frustrating. And I think I got to the point where I realized that it was better on my own because I could hear what I loved. I've always done the thing of choosing to work with who I love. From Trailer Park onwards, I definitely chose my people. No one chose the people for me to a degree. I mean, it's complex. Once I put myself out as someone who liked being remixed, then I got a lot of remixes. And I stand by some of them are beautiful, but Andrew Weather was someone that I was just like a huge fan of. So to me, it was just a very different, situation and I very much wanted that sound the acoustic sound and I wanted him to remix the hell out of it and I wanted to create something new because it worked for the songs and then I think that idea got diluted and that was frustrating and I think that as I went along with a record like Comfort Strangers I just handed it over completely to Jim O'Rourke and that was fascinating to see what he did and to just go, hands up, you do it. Though it's interesting because at the very end, when it came to mastering it, he made some quite interesting and brutal decisions. And I had no idea what he was doing. Of course, now I know. I'm like, oh, wow, he turned it all down. It can only really be heard to its full capacity on an amazing stereo. So, okay. And then I had a lot of snobbery about that. Like everything has to be recorded to tape. It's, you know, this and the other. And then when I had kids, all of this went out of the window because you just have to work with whatever you've got whenever you can, right? And suddenly a computer becomes your best friend because 
it just sits in the corner of the room and you can just like they're asleep okay I'm gonna plug in and record myself and I made the last record Kid Sticks in that way I co-produced that record and I did a lot of it on my own and especially in terms of integrating the beats with the more analog and live instrumentation so that was where I learned my engineering though that was on Ableton and it was more complicated and then when I came to England I was living in America and I met a young woman called Francine Perry who was studying at Goldsmiths in London. We met through a a brilliant engineer and I just loved the sound she did on my voice. And I was like, will you teach me logic? We just did like once every couple of weeks a little lesson on logic. But then I was like, well, I have this song. So for example, if I did this, da-da-da-da-da-da. So I started to apply what I'd learned on the last record, which was all on a Casio like my parts, little finger patterns on the Casio piano, but I now had a piano. So I started to apply that logic to a piano, but it also had the MIDI. So I would make my own little band and I would create sounds. And I did this for like a couple of years. But then as this process went along, I didn't realize what I was learning. And then I suppose I was aware that I wanted, I was like, this time I should surely just get on and produce this record. But I wasn't sure, and this is me picking myself apart, as you say, whether it was my ego. I didn't trust Mm. that my intention was right. A man would never question his intention. He would just get on and do it. But because on the record before, I'd had a bad experience at the end where someone I'd worked with claimed that they did this and did that. And I was like, well, you can say you did what I did, but you can't say you did what this bunch of men did because they'll all stand up for themselves, which they did. And we all moved on, you know, but I, by then it really dented my confidence. That time was a really difficult time. And then I moved back to England. I started this process just for myself, for my sanity. (laughs) And I also started writing just for myself. I still have my label in America, but I lost a lot of confidence. Let's put it like that. I just felt like maybe I should just shuffle off, you know, be quiet, just stop. But what I couldn't stop was writing songs. And what I couldn't stop was getting joy out of writing songs and really kind of getting into this thing of like still working with that same system of well okay this is a two finger pattern and what happens if I put another two finger pattern what happens if I put a little drum what if I make a drum like what if I get that cardboard box and I do this and I do that it was so fun I was like a kid in a sandbox and then I took it to Tom Skinner and he did some beautiful like percussive loops that I was working to as well. And then I was making my own loops on other things. And then I went in the studio with Tom and Tom and, you know, I didn't mean then to like take ownership of it. God forbid. Again, here I am apologizing. But anyway, it's just at the end of the day, someone had to, and and then the label didn't really, and I sent it to another producer who's great, but it was just like, I by that point, I was like, I don't want to hand this over. I got possessive, and not in a negative way, not in a, like a power trippy way, but I didn't know what it was, but I had a sense that if I tried to explain what I wanted, I wouldn't have the words yet again, and I would be kind of demonized slightly I mean I don't mean to sound dramatic but there is a bit of that with musicians it's a bit like oh god 
you know, and it's like, I don't know the next. I'm like, I literally don't such a fool of myself. I mean, I'm like, could, you know, the bit goes biddy, biddy, biddy. And they're like, nah. And it's just like, you don't say that. You don't. So if I was on my own, I could just cut that bit out and yeah. plop that bit in and get, you know, or turn it all down and then turn it all up and just play. And you know what else? Try and find what resonated to like I was talking about earlier, that thing when it, when you have a feeling and it comes out as a sound, you know. And the thing is, when you work with musicians of the caliber that I did on this record, they are also incredibly sensitive themselves. The raw material was pretty special. So it wasn't like rocket science, but at the same time, it was such a special experience. And that would have been enough, quite honestly. Just to have made the record would have been enough. And then for it to be picked up by a bunch of people like at Partisan with the love that they showed but then the kind of response from other it was very strange it really did confuse me <laughs> it's a conversation with Beth Orton this week on Shiro's we'll be right back you're likely already familiar with Bethany Cosentino's work as frontwoman of the indie rock band Best Coast. She's now stepping forward with her solo debut. Her album Natural Disaster is being hailed by NPR Music, Pitchfork, Vulture, Consequence, Stereo Gum, NME, and many more as one of the most anticipated albums of the year, exploring themes of identity, motherhood, self-love, and even climate change. Listen for yourself why this collection of songs is so special. Available at all your favorite places to listen music. Check out Natural Disaster by Bethany Cosentino today on Concord Records. And now back to our conversation with Beth Orton. Hearing you talk about this whole journey, it makes so much sense. It sounds to me like you gave yourself permission. You use the word ownership. You know, you found your agency. You literally created your own space. So you Mm -hmm. built the space to make it in. You were like following all of those impulses, those intuitions. Is it okay to call them divine feminine kind of energies? Like all of that stuff you're harnessing, whether you knew it or not, you got over lack of self-confidence or imposter syndrome. You took the reins. Like it makes sense, I guess is what I'm saying, that the response is this is your best work to date because it's more you. It's everything we've loved about you for 30 years, but more. (laughs) That is so wild. I mean, thank you. I don't fucking know what to say. Yeah, right on. Fuck it. Yeah, that has to feel so good. And fuck yeah to doing that in middle age is also what I want to say. Yes. Because all of the messages that we get as women is that we're like put out to pasture after 30. It's interesting to me. This is a very curious time to me. It feels spiritual. It does. It. I'm not yeah. like on some whatever trip, but at the same time, it's very interesting how it's panned out. Whether that will ever happen again, I don't know. I'm not going to hold on to that. You know, it's not like yeah. a thing. But at the same time, it is interesting when we are truly ourselves and all that jazz, you know, when yeah. we are our essence, that's where the good stuff happens. And I want to find a way, as you are, to put that into words to inspire other people. Yes. To make their space, as you said, and to just go, well, you know, what would happen if I just tried that? Or no one's going to hear it, so it doesn't really matter. I'm just going to try singing in that voice. And I'm going to say that because that's how I feel. 
say a song like Lonely, everyone's like, ooh. And it's like, well, I am a songwriter. I am allowed. It doesn't have to be literal, though at times it is very literal. But I don't have to tell you when it's literal. It's surely just a piece of work. To me, it's multidimensional talking about the core reasons why we get away from our true essence. From yeah. a very early age, we get very strange messages from our parents or our carers or whoever. And we end up kind of running from the source, you know, and we end up becoming lonely for ourselves. We go out dancing with the loom My best friend in the whole room The night is never long enough The morning whispers all is not love I hear you singing down the wire And I fall open as a flower the hope your is left when all is empty and I sweat and I ask my heart so I let be ask the question like I know the answer already and I'm falling choose this person because we think that might happen or this might happen or that might happen and none of it comes to anything and we're still left with ourselves so it's just like well I might as well have a relationship with this piece of shit that I surely must be you know what I mean all that and so I just wanted to write about that and I don't think I would have had the nerve if I thought people would hear it <laughs> so there you go not that it's like <laughs> not that it's like this huge like whatever but I yeah it's in oh, this is interesting I yeah it's still sinking in like what it means what I could do with this understanding for other people for other women there's all these rules that we set up like oh it has to be analog it has to be to tape it has to be this it has to be that it's just like and I have lived by all those rules by all the traditions I've been all the archetypes that I can think of it's not just in this industry, it's in this world. We live in the 50s, right? It's it's still the 50s. And we're heading right back there like a fucking bolt oh, out of the blue. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, if you ever, we had a doubt. Misogyny is alive and well. The patriarchy <laughs> is alive and well. So, yes. So, yes. I mean, I feel like this funny old machine, this computer that we're kind of afraid of as well, because God knows, for some of us, it's become a tool that allows for an expression that just wouldn't have been. I'm so sensitive to other people that if someone gives me a look and I can't read it, and this is me projecting onto them, and I know it is, I still can't get it out of my head. You know what I mean? I, I get compulsively yeah. kind of like confused. So for me to have a space where I could work where other people's breathing <laughs> or comment and just not hear anything, but my internal excitement was wonderful and when the dust settles maybe I'll find a way of you know at the moment I can only kind of like keep going with being an example and I think in general I'm interested in the living example of something 
it's so powerful. And I always make a point of saying that, which is why I said that out loud to you about your age and ageism and where you are now. And it makes so much sense. And it frustrates me to hear young musicians refer to themselves as old or feeling like they're running out of time when they're 20 years younger than I am. I know. Um, But at the same time, it's like, we have examples now. We have Lizzo, for example. She embodies ownership. She's yep. owning it. She's not fucking yes. around, right? She's a beacon of inspiration to young women. She is the great hope. And that's an example of, you know, it's beyond what we used to kind of, you know, like, oh, such and such is owning their sexuality and such and such. But actually, there's still just a pretty white girl sort of right. doing this thing. And that's what we see, right? A lot of, mainly. But at the same time, someone like Taylor Swift, right? She's in the mainstream. She just has done a full 180 on that ownership. She's just gone out there and gone, no, that's mine. I'll have that back. Thank you very much. I mean, how inspiring is that? That's brilliant. There's all these examples of people doing that. And then what interests me on a much smaller and quieter, but kind of hopeful thing is just like, my record got given the time of day, right? Like there's many people making beautiful music and beautiful records that don't get the time of day, whatever age they are, whatever space they hold. But I am interested and touched and I find it hopeful that the music I made got given the chance it has and in a small way, possibly in the bigger scheme of things. But maybe that's the thing. It's like, you know, these little white caps of hope on a huge, huge sea. It's like we just have to hope that at some point they will turn a tide and there's so many people right now making these small kind of chipping away hoping that something will change and sadly it's the massive corporations in every every area every walk of life that need to make the biggest changes and aren't but we're putting our little flags in the ground and I believe the fact that this record got the love and the attention that it has is extraordinary from a lady of I mean you know 50 one I do think though that music is ageless maybe the corporations or the industries they pin an age on everything not just the music industry but all of it you know society is worried about that but music doesn't care (laughs) music has no interest and what's sweet is that my music kind of got under the radar and got heard by people and that's to me kind of like wild as well Yes, to all of that. (laughs) Beth Orton here with us on Shiro's. The album is Weather Alive. Is there a song on this album that you feel like you really stretched? I mean, you stretched on all of this, right? I mean, you did this on piano. You're usually a guitar person. Like you did so many new things. But is there a song on this album that you're like, I'm so proud of that from the technical side? I'd have to say Weather Alive because, but again, great source material and Francine ended up engineering the record with me Francine Perry who I talked about earlier and she's incredible but at a certain point I did get really decisive I was like no I want to hear this let's do that boom 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 and that was when the tide turned on that song I was just like you know one night I had this experience of just like I don't know it was beautiful everything just fell into place and maybe I suddenly learned what it was I'd been given in the music I guess the thing of production is how it fits together with everything else. And that was something I was really overwhelmed by. And it was always my favorite song. Like it was always from the moment I wrote that song, I loved the A and the B part. I was like, oh, I've done a B part. 
have Beth Orton here with us on Shiro's and the new album is Weather Alive. It's her eighth studio effort. I'm Carmel Holt. I pulled a couple of quotes here that really like hit me because of the subject matter of Shiro's. I'm going to go with this one. I've worked with men in a way that has been tricky. You don't want to be sexualized. You want to be an equal and respected. It's a bigger conversation and I would really like to write about it. I'm interested in this possession of women via their sexuality, how their sexuality becomes politicized and there's an ownership that goes on. Is there anything that you can elaborate on about that? I mean, image is something that I hear talked about a lot on the show and how we grapple with being gazed at and our physical form and how that shifts over the years. What's been your journey with that? Is that something that you feel like you've come to a new place with as well? There's a lot in that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I am a flirt. I've always been a flirt. I can't deny my own involvement in my own sexualizing of the self and falling back on that. But, you know, at the same time, I think what people are trying to talk about a lot is like, shouldn't we be able to be sexual beings and it not be you know abused and I think that's a huge subject and one that I'm still kind of figuring out from my childhood and beyond so for me it's not so much just about like what it's like to be in the music industry it's just like what is it like to be a human and you know to grow up in this world where we're all a bit fucked up and yeah, it's tricky. And you come into the world and you've had your experience and you kind of bring that with you. And it's hard sometimes to stop repeating the patterns of your past. And I think possibly certain industries like the music industry, as we know, for so many people, it's just not a very safe space. It's not a place to be that child in, if you know what I mean, if, mm. if you haven't grown up. Or if you haven't ever dealt with that stuff, you just bring it into it and you can be prey to certain things. At the same time, you have to be accountable. But at the same time, you know, it's tricky and you see it played out constantly. And that's why I was sort of saying like, it's just such a big conversation. And I find like sometimes one is asked like, what's it like to be a woman in the music? And it's like, well, what's it like to be a human in the world? It's complicated. And then when you work in the arts, I guess, then it's a minefield, and totally. it can be. So I think about things like that and how I look. I don't know anymore because I like the good thing about getting older is you stop being able to see so well. So then you're just like, <laughs> you don't have to see yourself too well. You're like, oh, I look great. <laughs> I look amazing as I'm squinting in the mirror. So, yeah. Oh, well. well, and also being a mother. I mean, it's just so funny. Like that question is so annoying. What's it like to be a woman in the music business? And like, what is it like to be a mother? How do you balance motherhood and your career? And all these questions that nobody asks men. Right. So what's it like to be a male musician? It's just, <laughs> And nobody ever says male musician. So we've got a great male musician playing yeah. this Saturday night. It's, yeah, because it's still an anomaly. Whether you like it or not, it is a very male business, essentially at the core. But we are and many are trying to shift that. And again, I'll go back to saying something, you know, as essentially feminine as the record I put out being given the time of day is kind of a good sign, I think. It's 
kind of lovely. Yes. Yeah. But it's subtle. The changes are subtle. We got to keep chipping away. That's right. You know, that's the thing. And, you know, who knows, Beth Orton, maybe someday somebody will call you to produce their record, which would be fucking awesome. It would be amazing. I just, every time I talk to a woman where they've self-produced, I always love to put that little bug and maybe you can produce for others. Be that would be exciting. Awesome. Before we wrap up today, I do a exercise at the end of each episode called the Shiro's Magic Wand. Because we are all, of course, witches and fairy godmothers. Mm -hmm. If I give you this magic wand, you will have the power to change anything in the music industry for women, non-binary people. I know that list is probably long, but just like first thing that comes to mind, the first wave of the wand, what would you change? Gosh, I don't know how to answer that question. I'm really bad at stuff like that. Yeah, what would I do? I don't know. I don't know what I would do. Just have to sit with that and I I will think about it and maybe I'll just That's send fine. You a, That's a fine. Note. It's the first time that somebody has not just shot from the hip and I kinda like that. Is it okay if I share some of other people's wishes yeah, with you? Please. One of the most popular magic wand wishes is to remove labels altogether. No best female artist, female musician, blah blah blah. But then look what happened at the Brits. <laughs> Right. They took that away and then only men won, you know. So it's, mm-hmm. to me, it's systemic. It's a worldwide change. That was frustrating, right? So frustrating. Yeah. I struggle with this because I also believe that we need to remove labels. However, if we remove them before the playing field has been equalized, yes. then we take away the small spaces that we're carving out. And it's so important to shine a light on that and make a point of saying, this is happening here. Yeah, this is the thing with outrage and reactionary. Everyone's so quick to react. And it's just like, but we all need to speak. It's like, how do the great minds and just all the minds get together, have a say, as we try and do on threads or whatever. It seems like everyone silences everyone else with with outrage. It's just like, uh, I don't know, is there an outrage button where, and I'm not, this is not my having a pop at wokeism or having a pop at like, you know, it's not some weird agenda thing I have here. I'm just saying like, when you said that, it's true. It's like, we're having dialogues at the moment that we've never had in society, right? We've been living by one paradigm, one patriarchal paradigm since time began. And now we are bobbing around having these little conversations, trying to affect change. And it's tiny. So making huge brush strokes to sort of prove a point to me is kind of greenwashing or gender washing. It's not that obvious what it is we need to do. But what we do need to do is keep talking, I think, and keep having conversations and try and listen to one another. And it's so hard to listen to one another when everything is about everyone being kind of set apart, opposing views, you know, because that suits the kind of, you know, we're meant to be looking online at some bloke who's or some woman or whoever, some shocking thing that's happened and not notice that the planet is underwater. You know what I mean? We're not meant to notice what's really going on. So I don't know. It's such an extraordinary time, really. 
we're trying to turn the world in a different direction. Yeah, it's tricky. Sorry. Music yeah, is a powerful healer, though. Yeah, it's true. And then you go back to the fact, the core truth is that we're here making music that shifts people's hearts. It yes. does. It changes people's minds. It helps us see into a different reality. It helps us see into ourselves. It helps us see into each other. It brings us together. We sing in one voice and all that shenanigans is true. And that is the alchemy. And so I suppose I would obliterate cynicism because cynicism is a real problem. There's just something extraordinary about people singing together and not having to be from the same page either in any shape or form. But music changes things. Yeah. Beth Orton, it has been so amazing to spend this time with you. I could literally talk to you all day. Yeah. All good things must come to an end, unfortunately, but we will continue this at another time. I know we will. I love that. Before we go, you were just talking about voices singing together, and I was thinking about the amazing experience of being an artist and hearing an audience singing with you. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to plant that seed too, if it felt like there was a song on the album that kind of fit in with what we were just saying. I've not had it on this record, but in the past I've sung the Ronettes, I Wish I Never Saw the Sunshine, and had the whole room singing with me. And oh. that was one of the most beautiful things ever. So yeah, I've got a cover that I did off of Trailer Park. With thanks once again to Beth Orton. Thank you so much for being with us on Shiros. Thanks. Oh, this pain. Many thanks to Beth Orton for being with us. Her eighth album is Weather Alive, and it's available on Partisan Records. Shiros is produced by me, is mixed and mastered by Kelly Drake. Our original theme music is by Lucius. Shiros is also a nationally syndicated radio show. You can visit shirosradio.com to find out more and support our work with Patreon or merch from the Shiros shop. Keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Carmel Holt or find us at Shiros Radio. And please consider leaving us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast that helps us grow and bring you more Shiros. Support this week comes from Concord Records celebrating Bethany Cosentino's new album, Natural Disaster. Until next time, remember, music is our superpower. I'm Carmel Holt. Thanks for listening. Support for Shiro's comes from Concord Records, celebrating Bethany Cosentino's new album, Natural Disaster, one of the most anticipated albums of the year and hailed by NPR Music, Pitchfork, Vulture, and NME. The front woman of Best Coast shares her sterling solo debut album, available everywhere you get your music.